It should come as no surprise to anybody who knows me or my style that I'm a big supporter of requiring physicians and requiring nurses or PAs or MPs or certified nurse midwives, really anybody in healthcare, of requiring them to keep up in their professional reading. Man, things moved really quickly. And if we just practice the way that we trained or the way that we did five years ago, man, we're outdated. It really is true that medicine moves real fast. I mean, take, for example, the whole topic of umbilical cord management at delivery. I mean, that whole thing has been flipped upside down. For decades, the standard was immediate cord clamping at time of birth. Well, we now know that that's actually subpar, that it can actually hinder a lot of the child's normal physiological transition, and delayed cord clamping is now considered best practice. But even that changed over the years. Remember that ACOG originally only endorsed delayed cord clamp for preterm neonates, but then that got expanded to include term babies as well because the benefit was just undeniable. Well, we're at another point in the evolution of umbilical cord management now. Because now there's new data about umbilical cord milking in the non-vigorous infants. Now, I'm going to be very clear, this is between 35 and 42 weeks. But umbilical cord milking in the non-vigorous neonate has always been kind of controversial, right? Delayed cord clamp is no longer controversial. We know that that works. But what about umbilical cord milking? Now, this is a brand new thing coming out in February 2023 because there's a new publication from the Gray Journal that's going to address this, and we're going to summarize in this episode. So just like early cord clamp was replaced with delayed cord clamp, there's now evidence that in the non-vigorous newborn, umbilical cord milking for those born at 35 to 42 weeks actually is incredibly beneficial. We're going to talk about that right now because that's another piece of the puzzle that was not yet answered. Back in 2020, in ACOG's most recent committee opinion on the subject, they kind of left that whole issue of umbilical cord milking alone. Like, I don't know, we're not going to touch that right now. We need more data. Well, we have that data now. Isn't that crazy? See, medicine moves real fast. Once again, in this episode, we're going to tackle a new publication coming out in February 2023. That's next month in the Gray Journal, addressing umbilical cord milking in the non-vigorous neonate. Let's do that right now. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Before we get into this February 2023 new publication, I think it's interesting when we take a look at really how things really have changed. I mean, back in 2007, NICE guidelines, that's National Institute for Health and Clinical Excellence from the UK, their guidelines on intrapartum care management stated that early cord clamping was preferred. 2007. Of course, from that time, we now have accumulated a large amount of data that immediate cord clamping or early cord clamping at delivery not just robs the child of potential benefits, but actually has some negative consequences. I mean, when that umbilical cord is cut immediately after birth, that infant is cut out of access to about 30% of the total fetal placental blood volume. 30%. That's the amount that can get transferred to the child with delayed cord clamping. 
Plus, we now know that that fetal placental cord blood contains billions of stem cells, and it has great red blood cell volume that helps the oxygen-carrying capacity into the child, and it helps sustain the baby's iron stores. This also has neuroprotective effects, and it passes to the child protective agents like progesterone, essential cytokines, growth factors, and messenger cells that can improve transition. Denying this additional blood volume by early cord clamping can increase the vulnerability of infants to inflammatory processes and ischemia owing to blood loss. And the benefits are not limited to delayed cord clamp because umbilical cord milking also has benefits. In older physiological studies, comparing umbilical cord milking or delayed cord clamp with early cord clamp, early cord clamp resulted in less favorable outcomes. These included hypovolemia, lower blood pressure, increased vascular resistance in the child, decreased red cell flow to the brain and intestines, less renal blood flow, lower urine output, increased sodium excretion, and of course, lower red cell volume, hematocrit, and hemoglobin levels. ACOG released their first committee opinion on the subject, which was in 2017. That was then replaced by committee opinion in 2020. In both of these committee opinions, ACOG recognized the benefit, the value of delayed umbilical cord clamping at birth. The latest committee opinion on this subject is Committee Opinion 814, again from December of 2020, and the title, very fitting, is Delayed Umbilical Cord Clamping After Birth. In this December 2020 committee opinion from the college, there's a section on umbilical cord milking that in one week as we enter February of 2023 is now going to be outdated. Just real quick, as a quick synopsis on what ACOG has on umbilical cord milking back in 2020, here's the exact excerpt from that committee opinion. Quote, Given this most recent data, cord milking should not be used for extremely preterm infants less than 28 weeks of gestation. Okay, let's stop there for a minute. That still holds true because in babies that were born under 28 weeks who had umbilical cord milking, the thought was that that extra flow of blood quickly into that neonate's body could actually dysregulate cerebral blood flow and it actually led to an increase in IVH, germinal matrix bleed. So that holds too. But the second part of this statement is no longer true. They go on to say, quote, And there is insufficient evidence to either support or refute umbilical cord milking in infants born at 32 weeks of gestation or more, including term infants, end quote. Everybody good? So in December of 2020, ACOG says umbilical cord milking, I don't know, definitely don't do it if they're under 28 weeks. That's a lot of pressure going into the kid. Can actually break little blood vessels in the brain. That's no good. So don't do that. And there just isn't really a lot of data what, uh, on doing it between 32 weeks and term. But this new publication from February 2023 now answers a lot of these questions. And when we get to that publication, you're going to be surprised what the authors concluded because it totally replaces this last statement. All right, I think we've set the stage well here, right? We now get it. Early cord clamping is not good. Delayed cord clamping is the way to go. But what about in the non-vigorous child? I mean, human instinct, right? The first thing we want to do is clamp that cord and get that kid to recess. But even ACOG does recognize that there is some benefit here in the non-vigorous child because if you just wait 30 seconds, which is the minimal that ACOG recommends, 
I mean, that 30 seconds, you haven't even done a one-minute APGAR. So the first thing is non-vigorous. All right, stimulate the child. Calm down. Nothing's going to happen in 30 seconds, preferably 60 seconds. But now we've got firmer data that especially in the non-vigorous child, now again, remember the cutoff, 35 to 42 weeks. But this is potentially where umbilical cord milking can come in. Remember that gap in the data from that committee opinion of 2020? Well, it's now here. So let's get into that right now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This study will appear in the February 2023 Gray Journal. That's the American Journal of OBGYN. And the title is Umbilical Cord Milking in Non-Vigorous Infants, a Cluster Randomized Crossover Trial. This study was legit. I mean, it was well-designed and well-carried out. It included infants born between 35 to 42 weeks of gestation across 10 medical centers in three countries, and it happened between January 2019 to May 2021. The centers randomized patients to either umbilical cord milking or early cord clamping for approximately one year and then crossed over for an additional year or until the required number of consented subjects was reached. This publication comes from the Milking and Non-Vigorous Infants Trial with seven sites located in the U.S., two in Canada and one in Poland. In an attempt to standardize a lot of the variables here across the study sites, these investigators did a pretty smart thing. Before the trial started, investigators or coordinators set up meetings to standardize criteria for assessment of the newborn and NICU admission criteria. They also reviewed videos for the assessments of what non-vigorous newborns would look like, and they also tried to standardize the milking procedure itself. All right, podcast family, remember, they were investigating only non-vigorous newborns, all right? Infants who were born vigorous received usual care, which was delayed umbilical cord clamp without milking, and they were excluded. Non-vigorous newborns received umbilical cord milking or early cord clamp according to how they were randomized before they delivered. Here's what the umbilical cord milking protocol looked like. If it happened during C-section, this required the obstetrical provider to place the newborn below the level of the incision, at the edge of the table or on a sterile blanket on the mother's legs, with a second team member milking the cord four times. For vaginal delivery, the OB provider held the infant or placed the infant on the mother's abdomen and the cord was milked four times by either the obstetrical provider or a second teen member. 
Remember, these were randomized, so if they were non-vigorous, they either had this milking procedure or early cord clamp. The primary outcome was admission to the NICU in the first 24 hours of life for predefined criteria, which was either for respiratory distress, tachypnea, grunting, or retractions. This also included bradycardia or tachycardia, hypotonia, lethargy or difficulty arousing, hypertonia or irritability, poor feeding or emesis, hypoglycemia, oxygen desats or cyanosis, need for oxygen, apnea, seizures or seizure-like activity, hyperbilirubinemia, and or temperature instability. Yeah, that was a lot of stuff. All the NICU admissions were also independently and blindly reviewed. And the investigators chose, as the principal safety protocol of this study, the incidence of hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy. All right, so we just talked about the primary outcome and the principal safety outcome, but the predefined secondary safety and efficacy outcomes included therapeutic hypothermia, the use of volume expanders, phototherapy, hemoglobin at 24 hours of life, and peak serum bilirubin. Enrollment in the trial continued until at least 1,200 were consented per the protocol. Together, there were over 16,000 newborns screened at 10 hospitals, 1,780 were eligible, and 1,730 newborns had the primary outcome data available for analysis. Alright, so what happened? Well, let's get into the results next. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The difference in the frequency of NICU admissions using the predefined criteria between the umbilical cord milking group at 23% and the early cord clamping group at 28% did not reach statistical significance. But umbilical cord milking was associated with some predefined secondary outcomes. This included higher hemoglobin values, lower odds of abnormal one-minute APGAR scores, lower odds for cardiorespiratory support at delivery, and lower odds for therapeutic hypothermia. Here's a big finding and a big clinical pearl. Moderate to severe HIE was significantly less common with umbilical cord milking with a crude odds ratio of 0.48. There was no significant difference in the rates of saline bolus therapy, phototherapy, abnormal 5-minute APGAR scores, or serious adverse event composite of death before discharge. This is one of the largest studies of umbilical cord milking examining non-vigorous newborns at birth. As a recap, in non-vigorous infants born at 35 to 42 weeks gestation, umbilical cord milking did not reduce NICU admissions for predefined criteria, but those infants did receive less delivery room cardiorespiratory support, had a lower incidence of moderate to severe HIE, received less therapeutic hypothermia, and had higher hemoglobin values. The authors concluded, quote, Umbilical cord milking appears to be safe and feasible with no obvious harms. This data provides the first RCT evidence that milking the intact umbilical cord before clamping in non-vigorous infants may well be important, affordable, 
easy and potentially better practice. End quote. Well, so much for ACOG's committee opinion from December 2020's little section on umbilical cord milking, and we don't have enough data to tell us what to do in newborns over 32 weeks. Because this study was pretty darn good. The numbers were there, it was well designed, and in infants born between 35 and 42 weeks that were non-vigorous, umbilical cord milking had no obvious harms and had some great benefits. So once again, here we are, another point in the evolution of the umbilical cord management at delivery. Who knows what's coming next? But for now, now you're up to date as of February 2023. Well, podcast family, we're thankful for you. And as always, we're thankful that you're part of our podcast community. We'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.